very excited. Our guest is Christina Smith. And Christina is going to take us into the world of the Olympic athletes. The shine of the Olympics we're all familiar with, but there's another side to the Olympic journey. And we're going to be exploring both the shine and the shadows today with Christina. So please help me welcome to our stage, Christina, please go ahead and unmute yourself and come on camera and we will bring in the show. So as Christina works with her controls and Katie gives her some help as Katie is the background tech person. So waiting on this to tech itself out. And oh, I forgot to turn off my own ringer. That would be a problem. Okay, so I've turned off my ringer. I invite you to turn off yours. All right. Hi, Christina. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm super, thank you. How are you doing, Jackie? Nice to see you. Hello, Katie in the background. <laughs> nice to see you. So there was a Katie in the background. All right. Everyone needs to have a Katie in the background, in, in my opinion. So we come to Christina's. That's lovely. So Christina, you brought your entourage with you today, you know, your, your cheering section, and I am super happy that you did. When we met, we met in a world of emotional intelligence and gamification. And in that environment, I got to know that you were, or are, get my language correct, you're an Olympian. And I had no clue that that world was so full of light and dark, shine and shadow, until we spoke. So I'm really happy that you were able to join me today. For those who don't know what's going on in the Olympic world, I know that you were just like in big newspapers and things like that. I'm gonna let you just introduce yourself. Tell us about the book that you have so cleverly put in the background and, and, and what's going on in the Olympic world. And then we'll talk about your story. Sure, yeah. So um, I'm delighted to be here for one thing. And uh, I, I just know that my journey, you know, no matter what it is, it's brought me here today. Uh, and I wouldn't be probably being interviewed by you unless I had achieved what I had achieved. So everything has a purpose, you know, and um, the, the writing of my book actually was inspired by my journey in my life. Now, the journey uh, not only has uh, the Olympics involved, but it's it's actually more so the the lead up to as well as beyond in all my travels, uh, the 50 countries and hopefully more that I'll be going to. And just all the, 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 the discomfort that I felt uh, in my life and how I got through it and how I was very conscious of being me and conscious of my actions and, and really about mindset. That was huge uh, to get me to the games. Well, we're gonna talk about that because what the mindset is really huge. Where does mindset begin? If somebody is going to aspire to be an Olympian, where does that start? Where did it start for you? 
Do you know, um, I would say most likely my parents, because um, I mean, they're very focused uh, individuals. My dad was tremendously driven um, to achieve. He did very well. Uh, he was one of the first or the first, I should say, in Canada to achieve um, the CSIA, which is a Canadian Instructors Alliance um, for basically teaching skiing at a level four level. And normally people oh. who are like level, or I should say, uh, doing skiing seven days a week, they normally had, you know, the experience, the skills, but he was a weekend skier and he learned late. My mom actually taught him how to ski at 17 and he went on to trying to get this level four. Well, they kept failing him and on the fourth fail, you know, he still kept saying, see you next year, see you next year. And they just knew like, we got to give this guy because he's, he, just because he was a weekender, it didn't mean that he didn't have the skills and he was so talented and so athletic. So just that drive and that mindset of I'm going to, I'm going to succeed and no matter what my odds. And, and I really feel that I've achieved that. And my mom, of course, is so focused on the family and so dedicated to, you know, giving us everything that's that we need on the inside and the outside, you know, with support and my dad as well. So I, I think mindset is really um, from my parents. And then after that, it was really becoming conscious of um, just really, you know, what upsets me or what, what is holding me back. And fear was something that I always said to myself, what are you afraid of? And if it was only just the unknown, then I would literally step into it. Um, but the things that actually were dangerous, um, you know, like my sport, I, I just made sure that I did everything I could. And I had got all the skills and, and, and prepared my equipment and myself and my mindset uh, so that I could be successful. But sometimes you just have to let go and, you know, as they say, let go and let God, you know, like just surrender, you know? All yeah. Right. For those who don't know your story, we're going to back this up a peg. Because you said something about your sport being dangerous. Now, we all know skiing is a very uh, potentially dramatic and dangerous <laughs> Olympic sport, but you weren't a skier. Yes, I was actually. I, really? I, oh. Yes. Absolutely. It actually surprises me to this day that I never became, you know, uh, a, a high level skier because um, more so my parents were, my dad especially was focused on precision and, you know, detail. I, I was meaning your Olympic sport wasn't skiing. Yeah, definitely not. But I started when I was two. <laughs> yeah. You started skiing when you were two? Yeah, and my great grandpa and my grandpa, they uh, built and owned ski hills. And yeah, we have quite a history in skiing. And my great grandpa's in the uh, Ski Hall of Fame in the Laurentians in Quebec. So yeah, wow. so we have some pioneers for sure. <laughs> wow. All right. So what was your sport? It was bobsleigh. So bobsledding is not what I would think of as a dangerous sport. I mean, you're safe. You're all in this, this thing, this shell, you know, and you're just sliding around a tunnel. What <laughs> makes bobsledding so dangerous? Well, let's open your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, for one thing, um, we're not 
uh, when we're actually in competition, we're not heavily say padded up as an athlete. So you don't have the protection of pads. You're in this micro thin speed suit that is purely for aerodynamics, not for warmth or for protection or anything. If anything, just minor protection. It's like having an extra layer of skin, you know? And um, you do have your helmet that is say your, your protection that you have for your head. Um, the speeds, I, my top speed was 140 kilometers an hour. And, um, but it goes beyond that, you know, depending on the, the foremans are heavier, so they can exceed uh, those speeds as well. And um, the, the fact that you're in an ice canal that's pristinely, you know, manicured by these ice workers so that there's no flaws, you know, they, and so that you have no, well, they try to limit the resistance, you know, on the ice so that you go as fast as you possibly can. Now, the thing is, is that you have highly polished runners on top of that, that that is all about having diminishing the resistance on the ice. And you're only allowed to use the brakes at the end of the track. So you're not allowed to go, oh, I'm going a little too fast or I'm in the wrong place. So let's just slow down a little bit. None of that going on. So, uh, yeah, so once you start pushing with your partner, and uh, I had a partner, Paula McKenzie, in the Olympics in 2002, and once, you know, we load the, the, uh, the bobsleigh, uh, basically, I am with microscopic, you know, kind of like centimeters of movement with my, my hands, I'm guiding the sled down the ice. I got cold just listening. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm wrapping up for this one, guys. It is, yeah. It, whoa. Yeah. Okay. So, so now I've got a different perspective here. I'm in a cylinder designed to slide. <laughs> yeah. And wearing almost nothing in an ice tube. There you go. Okay. Now I'm with you in the bobs. <laughs> oh my God. You're crammed so in with somebody else. And, and you're steering with micro movements of your hands? Yeah. So basically centimeters of movement with your hands. Wow. So there's these things called D rings. So essentially they're shaped like a D, you know, and they're attached with ropes to the front uh, where ah. there's a steering mechanism that actually when you pull on the right D ring, it pulls to the right mm -hmm. and then back once you let go. So everything is about precision. So when you get into a corner, depending, of course, how well you potentially have done the previous corner will determine how you either correct it or adjust it or uh, actually steer it at the precise time. So it's, it's very, very, a lot of people think, what do you do? You just jump in and hold on and get to the bottom. That's not really it. <laughs> so anything, anything uh, you know, that if you make an error, sometimes you end up on your head, you know, and crash. So, and then you have your poor brakeman in the back. And uh, it's, it's a horrible, uh, horrible thing to think that your what you've done as a pilot affects another person that's with you that trusts you and that is so courageous to jump into your sled you know with you and and uh, go down this uh extreme run <laughs> okay so extreme runs are what we're talking about yeah 
So let's talk about the shine of the Olympics and people can chat in and ask any questions that they want about this because how many of you, and you can put it in the chat or you can comment on the video, how many of you have ever dreamed of being an Olympic level athlete? You know, so you lived that dream, Christina. You know, how did you end up choosing bobsledding? Uh, you know, I think it shows me uh, it was very bizarre because, you know, there's a guy at university walking around with a helmet and wearing a pair of tights. And it was actually wintertime. So it was a little bit confusing, the tights and the, the motorcycle helmet, because I thought you can't be on your motorcycle with all the snow out in the ice, you know. So we started talking and he was telling me about this extreme sport of, you know, ice burns and concussions and, you know, <laughs> bruises and you know uh, hospitals and 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 extreme speeds and uh i mean it was it, he really painted a crazy picture and then he said you know you have a good set of legs on you they're looking for women and i thought to myself well you know are you kidding me like that was like asking me to be an astronaut to be honest and uh a few months later i was actually asked to model in a fashion show and I showed up and lo and behold, this same guy was there. And I said, well, you know, what are you doing here? He goes, well, I'm doing a fundraiser for my bobsleigh team. And so, uh, you know, during the event, my friend won a door prize and it was a one year free bobsleigh club membership, which <laughs> she ended up giving to me. And that's how the journey began. So it was very, you know, not, not a normal way of being recruited, but then again, <laughs> You know, I have to say there's times that I've gone out and, and seen some good physiques on women and gone up to them and say, you know, are you fast? Are you strong? You know, you look strong, you know, and that's been as easy as it, it's come like to recruit people at times. But whereas now they have, you know, official uh, testing camps and recruitment. Got it. So you predate this um, organized recruiting and it was all about sharing the enthusiasm for the sport is what it sounds like. For sure. Absolutely. You know, it's the enthusiasm for life, I think, that is inherent in the show. And it's one of the reasons why I was so excited that you were able to come on, because for everything that your journey has entailed, your enthusiasm for life has not dimmed, Christina. And that is such a great gift that you bring to the world. So you were on the ice in 2002. I know that that was, uh, where were the Olympics? Okay, so my brain doesn't recall. Where were you? Salt Lake City. On Salt Lake City. Yes, USA, yeah. Cool. What comes after that event for you? Well, I went on to do some coaching, actually, uh, as much as, let's say, uh, some British uh, assistance coaching. And then I coached the Jamaican bobsleigh team, the Monaco bobsleigh team, and uh, helped out with the Australian uh, pilots. And yeah, so it was a little bit of an international experience after. Um, I also did some managing uh, for the French bobsleigh team, and that was a very exciting experience going overseas. A fellow Canadian uh, ended up uh, becoming um, a national team member for the French team, and I 
decided that my program, which I had started to help athletes um, give them a push start, I called it. I was uh, facilitating that by uh, giving over my equipment, uh, so my bobsleigh. And that actually started with a first athlete that was Keely Humphreys that I had given a, a sled to. And then the next athlete was Lisa Stringer, uh, who was that athlete that then progressed over to France. And then uh, after that, we had uh, another athlete from Australia that I had helped who ended up uh, both Keely and the Australian uh, were at the Olympic Games in 2010. So it was a very cool program uh, and uh, something that would help me, say, transition out of sport, you know, to feel good about paying it forward. Uh, and yeah, so a lot of, say, still being immersed in the Olympic movement was very important to me. Uh, giving back my skills, uh, my, my lessons, my wisdom, my mentorship, that was a big, a big part of also healing, because when you leave something, there's a, there's a void, you know, you're, you're leaving your family, essentially, and uh, it, it's not as pleasant, say, uh, that a lot of people may, may think of. Yeah, so I thought, do something good that would brighten myself up, as well as, you know, pay it forward. That's really cool. This, this idea of acceptance that when you leave something, mm -hmm. it's going to leave a void. And we all leave things at different points in our lives. Yeah. So spending your life, because from the age of two being on skis, I mean, this kind of sport has been part of your life since, since time began. Yeah. And, and then paying it forward. So how did you end up writing a book about this? You know, because I, there's another chapter here and that's why this, this theme of shine, because the Olympic shine in you is, is evident. I mean, you haven't lost the mindset just because that, that particular event was in 2002. And you cuff that and pay, paying it forward is a great way to express it. Mm -hmm. The idea of paying it forward with the equipment and to not only encourage, but literally empower people by giving them the equipment, which is, I think the only way you can empower someone else is by actually giving them the tools. Mm -hmm. That led you out of that world and got you through some of the loss of leaving the Olympic world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was next? Uh, well, you know, uh, actually, I just remembered the Australian girl was Astrid Locke Wilkinson. I, I kind of had a little bit of a, <laughs> I couldn't remember her name. That was the one that I helped the last. And uh, yeah, it was that transition um, out of sport. It, it never really left me like to it. It was still part of me. And um, I felt that I was kind of scrambling, trying to see, you know, where I could still give back to the community. And I knew that becoming an Olympian, I have this saying that it's not about becoming an Olympian that's important, it's what you do after to make a difference in the world. And that was something very important to me. Um, so I thought, you know, we're, we're given this responsibility, I feel, maybe not all Olympians feel that, but I feel this responsibility that once you step over and you are now an Olympian, 
that that giving back is so essential and there's so much and it's called social capital there's so much that is generated when you're in your career of being exposed you know on tv radio newspapers and now you know uh, the internet that people get to see you people get to feel they feel like they know you and there's a there's something very powerful about, about that and that development of that social capital, as it's called, it's worth something. And it's to, to leverage that to do good, I really feel was essential for me. And so I was reaching out to a lot of, um, or actually I can't even say I, it was more so they were reaching out to me and I essentially could never say no, you know, because I thought, wow, like what a privilege it was to, you know, to do something like that. So that was really a big part of my transition. My world is giving back. Who was they in that sentence? You said they were reaching out to you. Who is they in that sentence? Uh, well, there was like um, the Educational Partnership Foundation, for example, oh, um, United Way. Um, I'm trying to dig back in my archives of my mind here um, of uh, the um, Progress Club, the Lions Club. Um, Got it. Know. So the civic organizations of the world. You betcha. We're, yeah. we're inviting you to use what you had gained, your social capital. I mean, a celebrity, uh, mm -hmm. that, that level of um, being top of mind for people is truly being celebrity status. Mm -hmm. The idea that you leverage that very effectively in so many civic causes is just a delight, Christina. I mean, there are so many Olympic athletes who just they have their moments and then we never hear from them again. And you have made a point to make it where you are still involved. Why? Why continue to speak up? Uh, well, I really felt it was an obligation, um, but an obligation that was so uh, authentically profound in my my willingness to do that. I really, I, I really wanted to. And the interesting thing is that the deeper I looked within myself, I, there was also a need because there was a need uh, to fill a void, uh, to, to feel good about myself, you know, because when you don't win an Olympic medal, there's also, you know, they say that, you know, you're, we'll still be proud of you and all these things happen, you know, and people are cheering you, but you know, when you come home, um, especially during my generation of, uh, yeah, I was the first to go to the Olympic games uh, for women in bobsleigh uh, representing Canada. So we are part of the pioneer group um, mm -hmm. and that one with Paula McKenzie. And the thing is, is that um, there was such a, such an amazing experience to represent, you know, the, the pioneers that weren't there with us, you know, the Sue Calverts, the Ziggy uh, Fusers and, and so forth, you know, that, that when we were at those games, it was a victory already um, to represent, but but when we got home, I remember, and it was the first year they had done it and they haven't done it since, but they actually only brought the medalists to um, to meet the prime minister of Canada, and previous years every the whole Olympic team got to go, and that was actually something really that just was a real harsh blow because I felt like wow, I've really disappointed Canada 
because you know they're like all of a sudden I saw the just you know the discrepancy between being a medalist and being an Olympian you know like an Olympic medalist versus you know an Olympian and so or participant I guess or competitor however you want to differentiate it but yeah well, it was um to be started on. there yeah okay. yeah that that's so that one year is the only year that they did that split where not the whole team went to meet the prime ministers yes yes and, and so it was really it affected me and i didn't realize it until i started to actually write about it and i think that was a real um pivotal point for me on top of other things that we'll probably get into but there's there's really um you know, uh, um, a shame that came with that. And shame is, of course, one of the lowest vibrations, you know, out there. And so I, I really felt like I wanted to just show that I could help or show that I could be successful at making a difference, whereas I actually was thinking I hadn't. Yeah. So the fact that you allowed that very low energy vibration, mm. you know, that, that, that real dip after the high of mm -hmm. being at the Olympics to propel you into making a bigger difference in the world mm -hmm. is, is just a lovely thing, Christina. So I want to make sure that before we go into the, we're going to go into the dark side, you know, and, and into the shadow that if there was something you would give people, if they really had a desire, a goal, their Olympic vision, whatever mm -hmm. that is for them. I want to make sure we touch on the essence of mindset to achieve an Olympic goal. Mm -hmm. And you know, we've talked about it, talked around it a little bit, but mm -hmm. let's hone in on that as we move forward, because for every part of your story that we're going into, there was a moment that turned it around. And those are going to be the keys, I think, that are going, that we can leave with people that will help them pursue their Olympic dream. Being prepared for whatever that Olympic mountain is. Mm. After the mountain, you're going to need some emotional resiliency. You're going to need the ability to bounce because mm. it's going to be different on the other side. Mm -hmm. So we're on the other side of the mountain, Christina. What happened next? Uh, well, the interesting thing is that, of course, I'm probably one, of, I'm not sure if I'm the only one or, or very few of us that actually stayed at home uh, until my career was over. And uh, because women uh, were generally older when they started bobsleigh, I mean, I started when I was 23, um, you know, and uh, it seemed to be a mature a women's sport and um so when i was 33 was at my olympics and then i retired officially at 35 so here i was just leaving home thank you parents <laughs> um for providing so much for me and uh and here i am having to see the world from a different perspective you know all those responsibilities i used to kind of not understand how people couldn't have a daily workout, you know, amongst their, their, their careers, you know, like, what do you mean you can't go 
and you know do some exercise you know when they've come back from work or like i was always thinking that what i did could be incorporated in you know a regular life but i have to say you have to plan like there's a lot of planning and i mean to actually go food shopping and house cleaning and you know uh make preparing food i mean i was i was I like looked after at home. My mom just like <laughs> packing my lunches, sending me, I mean, literally like for all the meals, meticulous wing. I mean, so I, the transition was a little bit shocking. So I honestly feel like I'm still like a university student, you know, um, because it's only been around 16 years or so that I've been out of the house. So I, I'm, a, I'm a late bloomer. <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah it's but uh i have to say that that transition really i grew up like i had to grow up there was no question and um in that process there was a lot of also um losing of those routines which is really unfortunate because i i had a wheel turning like i had everything was meticulous and you know just uh so um set in my mind of what had to be done you know the moment i woke up uh, all the way to the moment i got to bed you know and then transition the next morning already prepared you know and uh -huh. so having to have those systems in place uh once i retired i actually kind of lost that i never sat down with myself and really scheduled things out as meticulous as I had as an athlete and evidently my fitness um, fell to the wayside. I there's so many routines, visualization, you know, um, meditation, um, proper eating, I mean, uh, proper sleep. It was uh, unreal how much I, I was unable to really find you know, that that routine, um, because of the distraction of trying to do all my volunteer work, as well as um, my, you know, working, it was it was really quite a an experience. Oh, you came back to a normal, overwhelming life. <laughs> I'm like, is this adulthood? I want back, you know, <laughs> but I laughed at myself all the time. Honestly, I'm like, I, I lost electricity the first within like, I think a couple of weeks of living in my new condo that my father was so kind at co-signing for. And I was like, so excited. And I had a friend come over and she's like, my blow dryer is not working. It was, it was all, of all people, Carol Lewis, you know, Olympian. Uh, and um, she was a long jumper and now, and then she was uh, in bobsleigh when I met her. And um, she said to me, she goes, my blow dryer is not working like is your your electricity's off and I was like well they, I think they're working on the condo or something because I was a, one of the first to to uh, own the condo and, and then by the evening when we came home and we had to turn the lights off all the electricity was off and she's like what's going on she goes didn't you pay your bill I'm like bill <laughs> goes, yeah, didn't you get it in the mail and I'm like mail and I and all of a sudden I was like 
I thought it came in the condo fees, you know, and, and she's, and, and I'm like, I was so used to my mom taking the mail. And if I had a letter, she'd put it on my bed. Like that's how much I missed out on those baby steps. So oh I literally went to the mailbox and it was almost busting out. And I was like, Oh my God, surely enough, you will lose electricity if you do not register. <laughs> oh, the lessons, the lessons. Yeah. But I wrote about them in my previous book, funny enough. <laughs> oh, how funny. Okay. So so your previous book has life lessons, the baby steps in it. Uh, it actually has all my mentors, all the people from, say, my naturopath to my nutritionist, you know, um, that that gave me tools to succeed. So I thought, you know what, I need to get this in order. I need to set out a, a routine for myself. And, and I created its a push start your life vital tools to daily empowerment. So I literally broke down my life to create some order. And uh, so, so that was something that I thought I need to do this. And uh, there's other there's other reasons why I was so scattered and and unable to focus, and that was later on discovered. So the ability mm -hmm. to share your story is something mm -hmm. really amazing, Christina, and I really appreciate that. And I loved that story about the electricity. <laughs> yeah, it it doesn't cross our minds. Um, the amount of drive and dedication and focus you know mm -hmm. the idea of focusing on something to the point that other people think you're crazy your life looked mm -hmm. totally crazy from the outside world because you didn't have any of the normal things in life mm -hmm. up until you were in your mid-30s and then all of a sudden you had them all <laughs> that's right <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's a blessing when you, when you, I mean, we didn't really have funding back when I started like eight years of my, the beginning of my career, it was all pioneering. So it became, you know, having to make sure that, you know, you had a roof over your head and thank goodness to my parents, you know, I was very fortunate to get along with them and to be able to stay at home and to have all the, all the luxuries and, and, and additional help. Uh, you know, and financial support from them. Um, but when you are, you know, uh, not funded by, you know, a program, you have to become very creative and innovative. And so you're working in the summertime when your sport isn't going on and you're training. And so there is a bit of that balance there that I had. And then of course lost once, uh, once I had, um, you know, uh, some funding, which, of course, actually supports that whole journey, which is fantastic. And, um, but I think there's something actually very important that I experienced that the current athletes um, did not experience. And that is the creativity, the, mo the, the drive to go above and beyond when you don't have things that are provided for you to have to be resourceful and have to, you know, look out for, uh, sponsors. I mean, the sponsors that came on board with me, uh, I just am so blessed with because they believed in me 
even before ever becoming a national team member or Olympian. And those sponsors, you know, I, uh, the Paul Vickers of Cowboys or, you know, uh, the Paul Beans or whoever, like the Jeff Simpsons, I, I'm just throwing out names. And if they're listening, you know, like there's so many people out there that were just there for me when I wasn't, you know, um, an Olympian, but they could see in my eyes and in my actions, the, the fact that I was sacrificing, you know, so much to be the best that I could be, um, you know, and the represent, you know, to represent, I had Shaw GMC Pontiac Buick Hummer, which was, you know, a vehicle that I was given. And, and I mean, I wore that hat with that representation, you know, and, and trying to get, you know, their logo in as many, you know, different, um, interviews I was getting or events that I was volunteering for, you know, it's, it's about going above and beyond for the people that, that believe in you. And I think that sometimes athletes get complacent or, or entitled as if, you know, like it's, it should be provided for, but, um, so that, that pioneer mentality, it's, it's very much entrepreneurial mentality of never quit finding a way, pushing through those barriers, you know, sacrifices, you know, whatever it takes, okay. you're going to make it. Never quit finding a way. I'm going to slow it down. Never quit <laughs> finding a way, pushing through the barriers yes. and be willing to sacrifice whatever is not in alignment with that, with the yes. goal. Yes. Those are four really, really key things that I hope somebody got written down because I don't have my notepad close at hand. Um, shame Believing on me because I told everybody else. Believing, Believing in, yourself. in yourself. Yes, yes. Well, that, and that's, that's a wonderful, wonderful place for us to go because I know that what happened next for you really challenged your ability to believe in yourself. Yeah. And so take us on the short journey and what it took for you to bounce back. So you're referring to nine years or eight years out from my retirement, I actually was invited to a brain injury event uh, where Dave Irwin, Irwin uh, crazy Canuck alpine ski racer Olympian, um, was actually brain damaged because of uh, a ski accident. And when I went there to you know, support the event and um, to encourage, you know, the families that were there with their brain injured child or what, whatever, you know, I was uh, involved with. I, there was a, a doctor that actually got up on stage, Dr. Tracy Thompson, and she was uh, sharing with the crowd, you know, why we're here and how uh, she basically said, you may not realize it, but you may have a brain injury. And she started rattling off all these symptoms, you know, uh, loss of short or long-term memory, uh, inability to focus, um, anxiety, fear, depression, um, you know, mood changes, you know, either uh, emotional, you know, whether it's anger or sadness, um, uh, in inability to remember faces, um, you know, things like that. And I literally was like, oh my gosh, I have all of these, you know? And it was absolutely mind-blowing because I went up to her and I'm like, we have to talk. 
you know, because uh, she was mentioning about a thing and it's a mouthful. Uh, it's called a quantitative electroencephalogram, which is essentially a brain map or brain mapping, mm -hmm. you know, so it looks at the function of your brain and it can actually detect the areas that have been damaged so that you've it received trauma. And the thing is, is that I had never had a official concussion in my career of bobsleigh. And I literally like was wondering, well, how the heck could this have happened? You know? And so I went and she did a brain scan on me and surely enough, all those symptoms were pertaining to the areas in my brain. So the inability to really get on my path since I retired was not just transitional blues, you know, those really like there were so many things that I was up against. I mean, when your hard drive, you know, when you're between your ears isn't working, you're, you know, that's not, that's not fun. And, and when you don't know about it is really, I think I, I actually had this kind of, uh, it was like a relief. Like it's not just Christina Smith that couldn't get out of bed. And that was like, you know, anxious for the day, but it was actually, I had a disadvantage that I was up against and it was, you know, in my brain. So we're gonna label this what it is. This is the shadow side of the mm -hmm. Olympics. There mm -hmm. was no dramatic crash. You were never on the wild, wild world of sports and that very dramatic ski accident that they showed for years and years and years and years and years. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, there wasn't drama. But what there was, was this every day, because you were practicing every day, everyday micro, micro traumas is mm -hmm. what it sounded like. And what I know to be true outside of the bobsled run mm -hmm. is that it's often not big traumatic events that create PTSD. It's the little micro traumas that we are exposed to. So whether it's the physical brain damage or it's the emotional damage, either way, it, it's, it can affect anyone. And when you don't know what's causing the symptoms, mm -hmm. that's really a place where we can develop a lot of anxiety. You're you bad. And yeah. Jackie, I will say, you know, in bobsleigh, because we're, we're in that bobsleigh shell, mm -hmm. you know, the sled, as well as having a helmet, we do experience crashes. Like I remember I had an experience <laughs> that I actually was uh, reflecting back as I'm driving on a wedding that I had been, that I was missing back in Canada when I was living in, in Germany. Um, and I remember just going deep into thought and I actually fell asleep at the wheel and I rolled um, my Mercedes Benz, um, moving van that was full of all of our furniture. Uh, and I remember when it happened, I was like literally strapped in my safety belt, thank God. <laughs> and I undid my safety belt, swung my legs down, walked out the front window and literally was like, oh, like I was gonna basically turn my, my I thought what, what was my sled over 
but it was my vehicle, which of course I realized, oh my gosh, this isn't my sled. But the experience of that crash was no, it didn't seem any different to what I had experienced in my bobsleigh. So just to tell you, like crashing is, is, is very, you know, it can be very severe. But the thing is, is that you're not walking out all the time with, you know, your bell rung or your, you know, these typical symptoms that people, you know, a headache or, uh, you know, um, something that you can't see right, you know, like those are, those are the classic symptoms. Mm -hmm. And like you said, the micro concussions, micro vibrations of daily, um, say, if we were to use abuse, you know, that your, your brain is getting shake, you know, shaken from side to side, you know, in the, in the sled. Um, and especially myself being very aerodynamic. So I was very low in the sled and I had the cowling literally up like on side to side of my head. So I was like hitting it, you know, um, just very, you know, even though it was gentle, it was still rattling. So. Got it. So. Um, I'm going to hope that her internet resets because I think that you have frozen on us, Christina. So we'll give it a second for it to reset. The beautiful book is a gift. And actually, I think that that's where we're going to go right now because um, there's something special. And as Christina, welcome to live shows. Okay, so as Christina's internet is resetting still, I just want to let you all know that what Christina has for everybody who's listening is something really special. It is the pre-launch of Empowered. And so her book will actually be out next year. And as she's resetting and regrouping, I want to make sure that you all have this information. It's special edition and it is just for you all. So yeah, I'm glad you're excited. I think it's worth being excited about. And so Katie has popped it into the chat for you all. So there you go. Um, so you can take advantage of that. And if Christina is able to join us again, we will get the conclusion of this story. And if not, it will be on another episode of the Suicide Prevention Show. Because what we're seeing among Olympians, people who have been to the mountaintop literally, and come on the other side is that sometimes there's another side to this story. So Christina, we gave everyone your uh, links for your gift and mm. we will now give you a couple more minutes and let's, let's take them into what happens, mm. what is happening in the Olympic world now that this awareness is coming to fore, that it's not just bobsledding. There's a lot of sports where there is residual um, impact. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, there's a, there's huge talk around it. Um, I can't say huge. It's more so, yeah, it's, it's gaining. Well, I can imagine that it's not exactly yeah. public conversation. Yeah. Well, because it could, it could impact people's desire to be an Olympic athlete if they understood everything that went on. Exactly. And you know what? It's, I'm the biggest advocate for sport. Sport, hands down, is what people need to get involved with. Any activity, motion is lotion. Movement is your medicine, you know? And um, I, I really see that it's not about 
uh, eliminating sport whatsoever. It's about tweaking. it. It's about changing certain things. We never started out with uh, safety belts, you know, in cars. Now we have them. So, and we have so much uh, innovation and, and uh, science that is proving what is going on in our brains with uh, the, the various um, tests that are going out. I just lost a dear doctor, uh, Dr. Stuart Donaldson uh, with myosymmetries who actually did 42 peer reviewed research studies that were published. And he just was bringing to the attention the world what was going on inside of brains and how a lot of athletes are walking around, you know, with a brain injury. And, you know, to think nine years after when I was diagnosed officially with a traumatic brain injury, you know, that, that's something so, um, what I, I feel is a hidden pandemic, you know, for, for the concussion side of things and uh, our brain injury side of things in sport. And so we currently have um, a professor in the UK that uh, uh, Professor Peter McCarthy, uh, as along with um, a coach from the UK that's actually in Germany, uh, Mark Wood, that's doing a research study. And we're also teamed up with UCLA um, and they have um, uh, an actual survey that we're producing to send out to athletes to really find out how can we make sliding safe. And um, it's so important that we address things that we know we're no longer in the cave time, you know, the cave yeah. caveman era, we need to be proactive, we have information, but we need um, massive participation. Um, and uh, the, the whole thing is, is that when we have that, um, you know, participation uh, from all the federations to get involved and to include their athletes in the study, we're able to then really come down with measures, you know, uh, to, to figure out, you know, how we can prevent this from happening. And um, Dr. McCarthy is really on board with, uh, he's uh, devised a sensor that goes into the helmets that can actually detect um, the, the pressures and the abuse and, and um, the, the trauma going on to the brain and to the, also the, the neck area and head. So yeah, it's very, very amazing stuff. It is. And, you know, we're, I'm seeing some comments in the chat, you know, that the mm -hmm. numbers of people walking around like you walked around for so many years, not having a clue that mm -hmm. what you were experiencing was not just something weird about you, but it was something that actually had a cause, actually had a path for being able to bring about a level of living that you know, is freer from, I won't say free, but it's freer from at least the anxiety of not knowing what's wrong is, is diminished. And what we know is when you dial down the stress, a lot of things can start to heal. Mm. So as we are coming around the curve, Christina, thank you very, very much for all that you have shared. If there is one thing you really want people to know when it comes to thriving and when it comes to resilience, what would it be? Well, I, I would like to leave people so that they know that there are ways of rewiring your brain. So if there are anybody, if you know, any people out there that are having issues and they're, 
they have had trauma in their life, you know, um, you can get uh, information on my new website, concussionshope.com, um, which will be full of free information for that. And resilience, I really believe is comes down to mindset. Um, I've been in studies uh, right now and training with emotional intelligence, and that's through you-eq.com. So UEQ, that has really uh, filled a gap for me in my life um, and to understand how to um, monitor myself in the sense of, um, you know, knowing when things are coming up for me, triggers, various things. And to me, if you can master your emotional intelligence and master that mindset, you know, the world is your oyster. You can, you can fit into any environment and really be grounded and rooted. And uh, yeah, so, so that's, that's that. And also doing some chakra work now and yeah, <laughs> Brenda Jacobson. Yeah, it's just been awesome. Like all these new worlds of really uh, expanding, you know, myself as an individual and, and how I show up in the world, but mostly how I show up within myself and really being happy within before anything else. So it's really starts within you. Well, I am so, so delighted. And yes, it does start within and then it re it resonates outward and resources start showing up. And it's interesting, Brenda Jacobson's been a speaker on earlier episodes of the show in other seasons. And so that's up on the suicidepreventionmovement.com, which is our YouTube channel where all the shows are housed and people can watch them. So for anyone who missed this, you'll get a chance to see it. So Christina, thank you for being you and for being so sweet to come on the show. We really appreciate it. You have a lot of support in the community and what you are doing in the world is nothing short of amazing. Well, thank you, Jackie. And, and if anybody wants to see uh, a movie coming out, a documentary on brain injuries, which I'm featured in, it's coming out. So please stay tuned. It'll be um, mentioned on authorchristinasmith.com website as well as concussionshope.com. So I'm delighted to, to uh, be on your show and thank you so much. And uh, you're doing an amazing job, Jackie and Katie. And I just, your, your blessings. And I'm very privileged to have met both of you. And thanks again, everyone for listening and being part of the show. Yeah. We will be back with another episode, so stay right here. <laughs>